Welcome to church, everybody. We have missed you. Uh, we hope you had an amazing week so far, and we are ready to worship. So let's worship. Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. He's still keeping. 
How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows of my soul The work is finished The end is written Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from Claim on me 
Well, it's always a great time to be able to worship with you, no matter if you're on vacation or you're uh, on uh, campus or what. Uh, it's amazing to, to worship with you. So we thank uh, our Chad and Erica worship team to be able to do that. Uh, so my name is Chris, and I have a few announcements uh, before we get into today's message. Uh, the first one is if you have any prayer requests, uh, you can text those to 97,000. We as a staff, we absolutely love praying for you. Uh, so you can uh, go ahead and text those. Even now, you can text those to 97,000. That way we can receive them uh, and pray for you this week. Uh, on Monday, July 12th, we have our Canal Valley Meal Program. Uh, you can sign up online to bring a food item to those uh, in need in our community. And uh, we do need some more topics salads and cookies so you can go online uh, to our website and sign up ASAP that would be fantastic uh, our young at heart ministry uh, we have our uh, barbecue on Tuesday July 13th at noon in the well and uh, that's for seniors 65 and up and we would love to see as many of you who can make it out to that if you have not already done so uh, we are on social media uh, you can sign up for uh, updates and see the news and everything that's going on with our ministries on Instagram and on Facebook. We would love to see you there. And lastly, uh, we just want to thank you again for your ongoing generosity uh, to this church. Uh, we couldn't be doing the things that we are allowed to do with our ministries if it wasn't for you. So thank you for that. Uh, so a uh, few weeks ago, we were able to uh, take uh, 41 high school students and some adults uh, down to uh, South Ensenada, Mexico, uh, in order to build a couple of homes. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, myself, Pastor John, Pastor Josh, we went down there for a whole week. It was incredible to see uh, so many people working hard, uh, hitting their thumbs with hammers, building homes for two amazing families. And we have a, a, just a wonderful video that kind of just recaps a little bit of what we got to experience that week, so enjoy the video. Bye. Hey, we made it to the Wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide this weary soul. The bones 
Oh man, that was such a great week in Mexico. Thank you so much, high school students and volunteers who went with us. That was awesome. Hey, we're in part three of our series, Misquoted and Misunderstood. Get your Bibles open, ABF Online, to Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. If you don't have the notes, pause the video and go ahead and grab those notes online so you can follow along with me. And I want to know if you've ever heard this phrase, you're not the boss of me. Yeah, usually said by a child to another child, but we laugh about that, but we're actually dealing with a passage that that might be the catchphrase, right? Because our passage in Matthew 7 is probably, we're probably all going to say this, it's the most misinterpreted and misquoted passage, but I'll use this caveat. It's the most misquoted passage by those people who don't know the Bible. In fact, passing judgment on others has actually become a staple in our cancel culture climate that we live in. In fact, we do just the opposite, don't we? We're quick to assign blame and assume the worst about other people's motives. And so does that fly in the face of this this verse, judge not, lest you be judged. We're going to take a look at that. Here's an observation I have. I think non-believers are those who are far from God, clearly believe that they're being unfairly judged by Christians. We should look at that and find out why. The flip side is that Christians often feel judged and that their viewpoints aren't fairly represented in the marketplace of ideas in the culture that they engage with. And so both would say to the other, hey, you're not the judge of me. And this is something that we probably all have to wrestle with. And so I want to ask some simple questions. Is there an appropriate time where judging somebody else is okay? Is there a biblical approach to calling someone out? Uh, Is it all right to judge people in some shape or matter? And lastly, how do we as Christ followers, de- uh, Christ followers deal with this idea of a cancel culture? So in your notes, I want to start with verse 1. I call it the better than you problem. The better than you problem. Verse 1, judge not that you not be judged. I'm going to just suggest two simple points under this. What the verse isn't saying and what the verse is saying. Here's what it isn't saying. That you never, ever evaluate other people's behavior or actions. That's just simply not true. In fact, uh, for a long time, tolerance was the highest virtue in the land, but with the advent of our cancel culture, apparently that's been thrown out out of the uh, equation here. In fact, we know that clearly we have to have discernment because there are times where we have to bring moral judgment or evaluation to the page. Here's another thing that it isn't saying. It's not saying that you couldn't confront a close Christian brother, someone you've earned the right to to speak into their lives, if their behavior is damaging to the gospel. And you can come up with those things that are damaging to the gospel, right? Things that clearly confuse people who who aren't Christ followers. And they say, huh, I I don't see how this is very Christ-like, right? And so whether it's adultery or cohabitation or alcohol abuse, etc. And so what happens is the defensive Christian uses this verse as a shield for their sin. In fact, it's a way to keep others kind of at arm's length. Uh, they kind of justify their living as they please without any regards to moral behavior or boundaries. 
Uh, Eric Bargarhoff has written a number uh, of interesting uh, books, but one of his books talks about all these misunderstood uh, passages in Scripture. Look at his quote up on the screen. Their objection sounds something like this. Aren't we all sinners? What gives us the right to make a moral judgment about someone else? Isn't that God's job? Can you see how that easily twists the Scripture? And so it really does uh, become this, this uh, stanza or this verse of unrestrained moral freedom uh, and independence from any kind of evaluation. The third thing it doesn't mean is that you can't look critically at what's happening in the world around you and then form an opinion and respond accordingly. Absolutely you can. You can see what's going on around you in the world in the marketplace of ideas, have comment, have opinion, and that involves making judgments about what you see. And so I think what happens is, what if you take this verse out of context, then you eliminate all discussion. You just have to live with it. You have to just see it and, and not make comment. Um, and I think we should all have the freedom, regardless of where you find yourself on that continuum, continuum of being a Christ follower or not, as to uh, what is appropriate and not. And so the bottom line, this verse is often taken to mean that nobody has the right to judge anybody or evaluate anybody else for anything at any time. Not so fast. Let's see what it does mean. I think this is what it's saying. Now, literally that word uh, crino or crino, to judge means to, to separate, to choose, to select, to determine. Its very word means that there's an evaluation process. All I would say is be super careful how you evaluate someone who is far from Jesus, someone who maybe doesn't know the Lord. Don't impose your moral standards on someone who doesn't know Jesus and expect them to live up to your moral expectations. That's not your place. In fact, I think God has something to say about that in James 4.12. Look at the screen. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So I don't think we should be holding an unbeliever to a higher standard when they don't have the transforming power of the Holy Spirit, right? And so we don't pass this kind of self-righteous judgment or condemnation uh, onto them. In fact, uh, I think it's interesting that the Bible never points out that our number one responsibility in dealing with the world is to point out their sin. That rarely is how things work. Even Noah said it's time to repent, but people had to deal with God on their own terms. So I would like to suggest maybe we love people first, let God judge them later. Now, I do believe that we can evaluate someone's motives and intent. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, look at the scripture. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord doesn't see as man sees. Man looks on the what? The outward, the external, but God looks at the heart. So he can tell the motives and, and he can take a look at other people's motives. We don't have to be judge and jury when it comes to that. So he wasn't saying, in summary, that we are never to judge. He's just simply warning us that there's a wrong way by which we do it. And he's telling us how to make judgments in the right way, not that we can't make a judgment. Now, let's look at the boomerang effect. Flip over your notes here, the boomerang effect in verse 2. Look at the verse. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you will use it to be measured to you. I call this the what? goes around, comes around uh, verse. 
Look at that. There's a boomerang effect. In fact, oftentimes when you're critically judgmental of someone else, it's going to come back to haunt you. I think about how pious I was before I had any children. And I was a parenting expert about your kids. I was a youth pastor, and I'd see these kids, and I'd say, oh, boy, these parents... They should do this, 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 and this. And then I had children of my own. I still think it was kind of funny that a, that a, a young pastor with a four-year-old and a two-year-old thinks he had some clue about how to instruct parents about raising teenagers. And so I always find it somewhat amusing to see uh, some of us, and I repent, I admit I did it, uh, judging other people and how they were raising their teenagers before I had a chance to do it myself. So Jesus was explicitly rebuking the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. In fact, they were so quick to see the sins of others, but they were blind, and in fact, they were unwilling to hold themselves accountable to the same standard that they were imposing on everyone else. That's what Jesus is really addressing here. And so he's saying that judgment always is reciprocal. In other words, the measuring stick that they use to measure the lives of others is the same measuring stick that they're going to be held up against in their lives by God himself. So it begs the question here, why is it that we're so prone to judge other people? Why don't you pause uh, the video right now and take a moment as you're watching at home and talk with whoever you're watching it with and see if you can brainstorm how many different ways and why we judge each other. All right, welcome back. Let's look at it. I think there are five specific reasons. Number one, because of our own arrogance and pride, right? Our big fat ego allows us to falsely believe that we're better than those who are critical, that we're critical of, and that somehow our behavior, behavior is above uh, reproach. Number two, some of us just have a critical nature. Uh, we're just critical by nature. It's, it's our natural tendency to see the glass half empty, what's wrong, pick things apart, etc. Third reason why we judge people is we're jealous. When we can tear somebody else down because of our own insecurities and our own poor self-image, then we are compensating for that inadequacy and it kind of spills over in our interactions with others. Fourthly, um, false information. Maybe we're only given half the story and we don't have the whole story. I'm always reminded of this when I do marriage counseling. I hear one side story and then I hear the other side story and those two stories don't match up. Be careful to hear both sides. In fact, in Proverbs 18, 17, look on the screen. It says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So you got to hear both sides of the story. False information gets us in hot water. And then lastly, our own flawed self-awareness. By pointing out the failure of others, we falsely believe that we don't have any ourselves. Try again. We do. In Hamlet, in fact, Shakespeare said, lady... Thou doth protesteth too much. Maybe we should take a look at our own lives. Now, what's a better approach? Well, I'd like to su suggest three things. Number one, treat others like you'd like to be treated. Just treat others like you like to be treated. You know what that is. Jesus taught this. It's called the golden rule. Extend grace and mercy and see what happens. Let's look at these verses. Matthew 7, 12. So in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Or how about do to others as you would have them do to you. Luke 6, 31. Um, 
So what's one of the things that you'd like someone to do for you? Think of all the ways we can just be kind to one another. I'm thinking about trying to get out of the Vons parking lot onto uh, Canaan Road, and you're trying to turn right, and there's traffic coming, traffic coming. Maybe slow down, let that guy get out of the parking lot, and then you continue. You don't have to speed up so they can't get out. And, you know, sucker! Nah, that's not cool. Uh, be kind. Number two, don't jump to judgment before you know all the facts. We kind of referred to that in the last point. You don't know why that idiot driver cut you off. I know you think it. What if he had just lost his spouse the week before? He's not thinking. Or how about, how do we know that rude saleswoman didn't just discover that she had cancer? We don't know why people do certain things certain times. Or how do we know that, that Christian who just cussed us out Maybe they just became a Christ follower and they don't know the appropriate words yet that are in the Christian vocabulary. It does remind me of a funny story that H.A. Ironside shared about a pastor who was sailing to Europe on one of these great transatlantic ocean liners. And when he went on board, he found that there was another passenger signed to share the cabin with him. And so after going to see the accommodations, he came up to the purser's desk and inquired if he could have his gold watch and other valuables in the ship's safe. He explained ordinarily that he'd never availed himself to that privilege, but he had been to his cabin and had met the man that was going to occupy the other berth. Sounds a bit judgmental. Let's see where this is headed. Judging from his appearance, he was afraid that he might not be a very trustworthy person. And so... The purser accepted the responsibility for the valuables and remarked, it's all right, pastor. I'll be very glad to take them and care for them for you. You see, the other man has been up here already and left his for the same reason. Both of them judging the other. Wouldn't it be better just to pump the brakes here a bit on our judgment, and especially when we don't have all the facts? So let's be gracious in our approach. Let's be winsome in our dialogue. Let's show kindness in our interactions. Let's believe the best instead of the worst about each other. Now, here's the point. Jesus wasn't confused in his teaching. He didn't mean we should never make a judgment about right and wrong. As he explained, he meant we shouldn't make a judgment hypocritically, and now he gets to it. Look at verses 3 to 5. We'll call this the blind eye syndrome. And I would suggest under that point that our natural DNA is to be critical of other people. That's just the natural DNA because of sin. And we're going to be blind to our own. Look at what the scripture says in verses 3 and following. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? In other words, ever get sawdust in your eye? Here, let me help you get that out. It's microscopic. And we're saying, hey, we want to help you with your sin, and yet here's our sin. We got a huge two-by-four in our eye, and we can't, we, how can we even see? Because it blinds us. We can't even tell or admit that maybe we have our own issues because we're too looking uh, too closely at other people's behavior and actions the two-by-four syndrome. Secondly, look at most judging is often done in hypocrisy. Look at verse 5. You hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye. Okay, I got my log. All right, take it out. Poof, okay. That was painful. By the way, it's always painful to look at the sin in your own life, isn't it? And when you do that, 
you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. In other words, hey, don't be calling somebody else out when your life isn't there. And by the way, that keeps a lot of us from saying anything about anything because we know how wretched our own lives are. We know no one is perfect, but we expect them to be perfect. We expect their shortcomings to be things that they should have dealt with long ago instead of us dealing with our shortcomings that we haven't dealt with. And that's precisely what Jesus is warning us about. And I think it's kind of ironic that we tend to be critical of others of the same behaviors and attitudes that we ourselves wrestle with. And sometimes the one shouting out the loudest is making, uh, kind of masking the deceit of his own life. Like the person who's so righteously uh, indignant about the issues of moral purity in our culture, but they harbor their own issues with pornography or lust in their own hearts. Or maybe they're not even faithful to their own spouses. You know, that, and it's not a big stretch for our, some dads condemning the clothing choices of their teenage daughters, and yet maybe their mind isn't entirely pure in what they're allowing themselves to view on their laptops and their computers. Or telling someone else to lighten up or chill out when they're agitated, and then we jump down somebody else's throat when they cut us off on the freeway. So seeing someone else's faults might be a cue that God's bringing into our lives to, hey, maybe we take an examination of our own lives. Maybe it's this idea that we see fault in others and maybe what we're seeing is reflection of our own lives. Well, the summary is, yeah, there's a point when we should confront others and we should be careful on how we do it. Judge not, lest ye be judged as clearly uh, a two-way street. Yes, be careful how you evaluate the behavior of other believers but be, and, and non-believers. But also be careful that you're not kind of projecting on them because of your own issues and your own stuff. Now, with that being said, I thought it would be appropriate to, to take us just for a big panoramic view of kind of how God sees judgment. Because there will be a time when you're going to stand before God. And if uh, what I would call this is the basis for future judgment by God. And so I would suggest there are two things you should take into account. We, need not, we know that there's the judgment seat of Christ, that's for believers, and there's the great white throne judgment, that's for non-believers. Let me let the scriptures essentially speak for themselves, and then we'll draw two conclusions. Under the judgment seat of Christ, for all believers, we're going to go through this. Why do you pass judgment on your brother, or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat, or other the bema seat of Christ, uh, of God, Romans 14, 10. And then here's what's described again in 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So friends, it suggests that as Christians, you don't have to worry about whether you're going to heaven or not. You're already there and God's gonna evaluate your life on earth and there will be rewards, friends. In fact, God calls them jewels or crowns. And so I have a very simple question. Are you making your life count for Christ in this world? If you're a Christ follower, ask yourself, am I making a difference for eternity? And I'm not going to belabor it. I'll let you just ponder that in a moment. When Chad comes to play, uh, we'll think about that song or that idea. 
And then here's the great white throne judgment. This is for non-believers. This is a scary one. Look what it says in Revelation 20, verses 11 and 12. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on, that's God, from his presence on earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were open. Then another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what had, they had done. In other words, is your name in or is it out? Was it written or not? Have you made a decision for Christ? And I don't know about you, but the day is coming when, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to stand before God. And it's a simple question today, friends. Are you ready to meet your maker? You see, our passage today, we said the title was, here comes the judge. Well, there is a judge that's coming, and he's a righteous judge, and he loves you. He doesn't want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And so maybe today, if you haven't ever made that decision to declare that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and to cross the line of faith to say, I'm all in, then maybe this is the day to do it. We would love to talk to you about that. If you would call me this week, text me. I would love to talk to you more about how to have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I pray right now, whether we know you or whether we don't, Lord, if we know you, I just pray very specifically that we would count the days, that we'd make a difference, that we wouldn't waste these days as we live for you. And then for my friends watching all over the country right now, as they see this, as they pray, Lord, as their heart is pounding and they're wondering, is he talking to me? Yeah, I'm talking to you. The Lord Jesus is asking you, come to me, come to him, give your life to God. You can pray this simple prayer. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I need you. Would you come into my life and forgive me? Begin to take and change me from the inside out. Thank you for your death on the cross who paid for the payment of my sins. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed that prayer, you are part of God's great extended, global, worldwide family. And we're so glad that you joined us today. Remember, here comes the judge. And this is the way that we deal with the cancel culture. Have a great day. Let's worship him now. No 
Well, thanks, everybody. We're so glad you joined us at ABF Online. I hope you have a fantastic week. We love you. We want to connect with you. Don't hesitate to give us a call. Text us. We want to make a difference in your life.